Good morning. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is DJ, and I'm, I, I hate to break this to you, but if you don't know me yet, I, there's not much time. Um, this, uh, this is actually my last Sunday uh, here with you all, um, and, and there will be time after the service. I don't want to spend all our time this morning doing, or right now doing that, but uh, um, please just hear from me, and then... Um, I know my wife Sam would echo this. Uh, we have felt extremely loved uh, and cared for here and have really enjoyed our time, so thank you. Um, but this morning, I'm tasked with bringing the word. We got, a, we got a sermon series to keep on schedule. We got a Super Bowl party or two to get you to, uh, and so we're gonna make sure that someone shook their head no because I don't think they're happy with who's at the Super Bowl this year, but that's okay. Um, Let's, uh, let's, let's get into the word this morning. We're, gonna, we're continuing the series called Follow Me, uh, which is, if you didn't know this, we're going through the book of Mark together. Uh, it's not that long of a book. You can still read it. Uh, and what we're looking at uh, in detail is the call that Jesus gives to his disciples to follow me uh, and how this is a call that is still with us today, although it looks a little bit different uh, for us nowadays. But we're going to look at chapter five in this series, and uh, I know I just had you sit down, but can we just last, can we stand for the word um, just as we receive it this morning? So we're looking at uh, Mark five verses one through 20. We got this. All right. So it starts, it says they, this is talking about Jesus and the disciples. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus... They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We just pray that this morning you would open our hearts uh, to hear whatever it is you have to say to us. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, a little, a little bit of confession uh, before we dive into this passage. Normally, typically, not every time, but most of the time, when there is a passage and we are tasked with speaking on this passage or breaking it apart, uh, we'll spend some time reading this passage, or at least I'll do this. I don't want to speak for these other guys who are coming up here speak. I know they do this too, but this is, we spend time reading the passage and you digest it a little bit and then you start uh, you know, consulting other passages that get referenced. You start consulting certain experts or commentaries, people who have spent a lot more time than we have on this passage to get an idea of what's the background here? What is the culture like in this place that Jesus is doing? What did Jesus do right before and after this to give us an idea of how this fits into the larger story? Is there anything we're missing because we're 2,000 years removed? And usually, this provides clarity on the passage. Usually you leave going, ah, I understand it better. And some of the questions I have, they were answered. And with this passage, the opposite happened for me. Uh, in consulting with the, the, the experts or the people who spent more time on this, I found myself with more questions on what was going on in this passage. And, and honestly, even the, the, the experts, or the, the people writing on this were like, you know, could be this, could be that. We're not sure about the symbolism. It might be this. It might be this. And it was a lot of maybe left in this passage. And so in that theme, I'm going to give you, the way I'm breaking this down, I'm giving you seven questions. Here's questions I was asking as I'm going through the passage and questions that are, some are, some are heavier hitting than others. Some are very obvious questions. But here are seven questions I'm pulling from this passage as we go through it in order. Okay. So the first question is very simple, uh, at least on the surface. Where are they? Okay, this is the first question that popped up. And it says in the passage that they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now here's the problem. Not everyone's uh, in agreement on what Gerasenes should be translated as or what city it's actually talking about or which one. See, I have a map here. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is in the northern area of where Jesus did his ministry. And we're told that they crossed the lake. So they crossed over to this other side. And you see, even on the map, it says Gergesa, but with a question mark. Even the map isn't sure where this place is. Uh, and, and there are other places where they go, well, it might be this other place, but that's 40 miles from the lake. And uh, I don't think he traveled 40 miles from the lake. There's a lot of distance. And the way this passage reads, it sounds like it's right after he got out of the boat. Uh, but usually it's very informative to know where he is. So you know what kind of people he was interacting with. You know what their background was, what their religious beliefs were, uh, what Jesus was talking about. And in this one, we're left with a few questions. But what we do know is just to give you an idea of scale, that, that, that distance they traveled across the lake is only about five miles, okay? They could have done it. Uh, and when they left in Mark 4 to cross this lake, it said it was in the evening. Uh, and so they set sail at night. 
Chances are, unless they got lost in the middle of this lake, they arrived at night. I don't know about you, but this, there's a guy in this story, in the tombs, it says, uh, who's possessed by an impure spirit. I don't know why, but the fact that it's at night makes it just that much creepier uh, of an interaction. All right, Jesus is stepping off this boat in this general area, possibly right after he got out, and he's meeting this guy in the tombs at night. And so where are they? That's where they are, or where we think. Going on to verse two, it says, he got out of the boat and a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. What is going on with this guy? Is my second question. Just from the text, we get a few facts, okay? It says he's got an impure spirit. We know he lives in the tombs. Lives might be a very generous term there. Uh, it says that people have tried to, I'm putting air quotes on this, treat this guy by binding him, putting chains. Uh, he has been under this affliction for some time. And clearly, in verse 5, we see this, that he is in the hills crying out, cutting himself with stones. This guy is not living a peaceful life here among the tombs, but he's in agony among the tombs. Now, I want to I, I pause here with this question because we are removed from Bible times, okay? And any time a, a story like this comes up where we read about Jesus and an impure spirit, I, even in a room this size, I guarantee that we have people all along a spectrum here. I know that there are those of you in this church who would go, yes, I daily pray against the, the demons and against the dark forces going on in this world. I think it is necessary and I am on it. I wake up praying for this. And then I also know that there are some of you who are sitting there going, I'm not sure how I feel about demons. I think they're more of a metaphor and an idea. And I'm sure many of you fall somewhere in between uh, this spectrum on, on, on what this is talking about. But I wanna lay out for you that the Bible does not shy away from the fact that there is a spiritual reality happening. Uh, and much of this spiritual reality and these, these beings that were created are, are fighting against or in rebellion against God. I'm gonna give you a few uh, uh, passages just, just to think about. So all the way back in the book of Genesis, you see this from the very beginning. Um, even before Genesis 6, in Genesis, uh, the creation story, you have the snake in this garden. You have this being that is in rebellion against God, that is trying to turn humanity away from God, to get them to question, did God really say that? In Genesis 6, you get a really interesting story before the story of Noah and the ark about these beings called the sons of God who interacted with humanity and turned them against and, and created these weird, interesting, I'll let you read it on your own, but it is an interesting story. Um, all the way in Ephesians, going ahead to Paul, Paul does not shy away from the fact that there is a battle going on. Let me read this from Ephesians 6. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Bible brings it up quite a bit. And Mark, even in, we're only in chapter five, even up to this point, Mark has brought it up three separate times. Mark 126, Mark 121 through 26, he heals a man with an impure spirit. In Mark 132, he heals more demon-possessed who was brought to him. And in Mark 3.15, he explicitly says that he gives the disciples authority to drive out demons. I don't know where you stand on this spectrum, but the Bible uh, doesn't seem to, to mince words here. Uh, and is very aware that there is a reality going on that is unseen and is often working against God and working in humans to pull them away from God. And I say this because I just want to drive the point when we're asking the question, what is actually going on with this guy? There is a deep, deep spiritual battle going on within him. Uh, and something that is causing him agony, causing him pain, and has literally driven him away from the rest of his community. Now, my wife works in the mental health field. I am very pro mental health work. I'm pro therapy, I'm pro counseling, I am pro people getting help for the needs they have, yes. But if you read stories like this or think every single situation where someone is struggling is a mental health issue, I think you're missing some of it. And on the same side, I think if you go in and go every single situation is caused by a demon or some spiritual force, I also think you are missing some of the peace. I very much am a firm believer that it is a both and situation uh, and that we can't neglect either side. And so what's going on with this guy? Something dark is going on with this guy. Let's keep going. Verse six, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For some reason, the demons in the Bible seem to recognize Jesus better than any of the people do. Very quickly, they are aware of who Jesus is and not just who Jesus is, but what kind of power he has. Listen to what he says. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. He is begging Jesus not to torture him. He is acknowledging that Jesus has at least some type of authority or power. And in Mark 1.23, earlier in the book, when another demon-possessed man is, is cast out, uh, the response Jesus gets, it says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, the demons don't even have to blink. They know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly what kind of power he has. They know exactly what kind of authority he has and what he is there to do. But they don't follow him. They don't worship him. They don't submit to him. And the book of James in the New Testament says this. He says in James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Here's where I want to pose a scenario for you. 
there is a difference between believing in Jesus and following him. The demons believe in Jesus. They know he is real. They know he is powerful and they do not follow him. And a question, we'll come back to this, is I believe this is a trap we can fall into as well. So just hold that with me as we continue in the story. Verse eight. Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So this next question is, why, why the conversation? Why is there a back and forth here? Jesus clearly has power. He clearly has authority. In previous times when he casts out an impure spirit, he tells the spirit to go away and the spirit goes away. And yet this one seems to be like a, there's like a little conversation happening back and forth. And this again, people aren't, you know, did he, did he not do it right? You know, was, some people believe there is like power in asking a demon his name and we, you know, maybe, I don't know. Uh, and the truth is what we do learn from this, uh, in this story is that we find out that this guy isn't just, you know, he didn't just have the unfortunate situation of being possessed by one demon. It says he was possessed by many. And when it says legion, just to give you a frame of reference, a legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 troops. That's a lot. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Listen to how they know he has authority. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. My next question was this, what's up with the pigs? Again, not a lot of consensus on what's going on with these pigs. Here are some ideas, all right? Some go, you know, not knowing exactly in what area this was, not knowing exactly who the people were he was talking to. There's, there's questions, maybe these were Jews who totally neglected the law, all right? And they totally sold themselves over and they're, they're herding pigs now and Jesus was making a statement. Maybe, it doesn't say that, but that would be pretty cool. All right, maybe these were people who totally were not uh, Jews or, or believers of any kind. And so he was making a statement in a total enemy territory. Maybe that would also be awesome. All right, but one thing that is clear uh, in this story is you have a guy who's possessed by some demon or demons, many of them. Jesus says some words to this guy and all of a sudden, 2,000 pigs freak out, rush down a hill, and kill themselves. If you were a skeptic standing there, sometimes we like to think this is just Jesus and the guy in the tombs. The disciples were with him. There were people who were around the pigs, hurting the pigs. This wasn't an isolated situation with just Jesus and this guy in the tombs. There were people watching. And if, I don't know about you, but if I was watching this and I had any doubt that this guy was healed or this guy was tormented, watching 2,000 pigs kill themselves would be as much proof as I think I ever would need. Uh, and so the people sitting there got a huge, huge glimpse into the power uh, of Jesus and to the authority that he had. If this guy who was possessed by these demons had any doubt that these demons were still in him, he had a very clear sign that they were no longer there. Which brings us to my sixth question. 
which is where I want to spend a little more time. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well, and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. That feels like a really weird reaction to me. If there was someone in our town who we had tried to help, help, you know, by binding, who we knew was shouting in the tombs, you know, who was howling out, who was cutting himself with stones, and he had this interaction, and there was this crazy thing that happened with pigs, and all of a sudden this guy was healed, he was dressed and sitting in his right mind, you think they'd ask more questions. Clearly something good has happened. Why would they push him away? The first thing I want to know is that this, this reaction of fear is very normal in the Bible. Okay? Um, earlier in the book of, uh, actually right before this, when the disciples and Jesus are going across the lake, there is a storm and the disciples are worried they're going to die. And Jesus rebukes the storm and it calms down. And how do they respond? It says they were terrified. They were like, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves listened to him. You can go all the way back in the Old Testament. The, the Israelites, after they got out of Egypt, were terrified to come before God on the mountain. When the angels appear before the shepherds, you know, at the Christmas story, what is their response? They're terrified. All right, fear is a normal response uh, to some of the things that Jesus does. What is interesting to me, though, is although it seems to be, you know, universal, that fear happens, the response to that fear is very different. The disciples were afraid, but they followed him. These guys were afraid, these herdsmen were afraid, and they begged him to leave. How is it that you can have the same thing happen? Two people witness the exact same thing, and they are reacting in completely opposite Ways, And I think this goes back to what we had talked about, to what was afflicting this guy and what the Bible often talks about of this battle, this spiritual battle that is going on. And, and in this battle, it is similar to, to these two kingdoms that are at war. We did a whole series, the tale of two kingdoms. There is this kingdom of God and there is this whole like spiritual world resisting that kingdom of God and encouraging people to resist that kingdom. And something I find interesting is the people who are most drawn to Jesus are the ones for whom this life and this kingdom here on earth is not working out very well. You often get people who are poor. You often get people like this man who is very ill or demon-possessed. You get people who are on the margins of society, the sinners, the ones that others wouldn't hang out with. Those are the ones who see Jesus and they see a kingdom that they want to be a part of because I believe it is very obvious to them that they don't want to be a part of this kingdom here on this earth. But who resists Jesus? It's those who have power and those who have influence. It's those who have money and those who, for whom this life is actually, it's okay. 
You get the Pharisees, those who had religious power, often pushing against Jesus. Jesus came in and disrupted their entire thing, and they didn't like it, and they often tried to push him out. You get Jesus talking about those who are wealthy, those who are doing well in this life, and he says it's harder for a camel to go through, or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom. And in this situation, with these guys and these pigs, Again, it doesn't say this explicitly, but what you have is Jesus coming in and completely disrupting their way of life. Uh, If I lost two, I I don't know how much 2,000 pigs cost. I imagine it's a very expensive day for these guys. And their response is not to go, man, this guy, Jesus, who just healed this guy must be offering something better. No, their response is this guy is getting in the way of what we are doing and we need to get rid of him as fast as we can. I said it a second ago. Even the demons believe in God, but they don't follow him. And here's where I wanna wanna push a little bit. I don't believe we should assume that we are following. Let me say that again. I don't think we should assume that we are on the right track and we are following, that we have, have totally resisted Uh, the kingdom of this earth and any of the rebellion and that we are like sold out for Jesus. Uh, I think that's a dangerous assumption. And let me at least speak for my own, my own life. I like, this is my, like my job is to get up here and talk about the Bible with you. It's awesome. I I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have this job. And, and I would say, yeah, I'm totally, I'm following Jesus. You know, I'm reading my Bible. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to, you know, pray with my kids, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't feel like at times I was like straddling both of these kingdoms, okay? Yeah, I wanna, I wanna go after you, Jesus, but honestly, I really like it when people affirm me. I really like getting the approval of the people at church and when they tell me I did a good job. I really like, I, I mean, it's so hard not to be tempted. Like I'm, I'm literally standing on a stage in front of a group of people who are, I mean, you're being very great and respectful and quiet. You're listening to what I'm saying. That's crazy that you are doing that, all right? <laughs> Uh, but just know like the temptation in this work is there for me to go, you know, it feels pretty fulfilling. This work that I'm doing and the approval I get from other people, it, it feels good. And let me tell you, oftentimes I feel like sometimes Jesus is like the backup plan. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to hold on to you until the, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'm going for you, Jesus. But for right now, you know, I'm making lots of money and I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm going to stick with this until it doesn't go well. Okay? And Jesus often pushes against this. He says, you can't serve two masters. Uh, he tells us that the, the road is narrow and not many find it. Let's keep going. This is my last question I, I had for this and it comes in starting in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Why didn't he let him go with him? We called this series, Follow Me. Uh, And I jokingly said to Matt, you know, the story I'm preaching on today, um, Jesus said no. This guy begged. It, it, look at the contrast. You have 
people in this town begging Jesus to leave and you have someone else who experienced the healing begging to go with him. Why didn't he let him come? I don't think this is that hard of a question, actually. Jesus tasked this guy with a mission. Jesus was not staying in that region. Jesus was not welcomed in that region. But what Jesus did is he gave this guy basically a job to do. He said, go and preach and tell them what God has done. And I want to throw out to you that following Jesus, yes, it might look like in those days, literally following the footsteps of Jesus, but following Jesus is also just being obedient to what Jesus calls us to do in our particular situations, in our particular place, and in our particular time. And for any of you who are looking at your neighbor going, man, you know, they're following Jesus like this. Am I doing something wrong because I'm not following Jesus like that? I want to tell you, uh, no, that's not how it works. Uh, Figuring out how you follow Jesus in your particular time and in your particular place is for something for you to do with people who are close with you, with prayer, with really seeking, what does God want me to do? I read this in a book and I cannot remember the book for the life of me. Um, but it, it, it called out the, the sin in the church that you should always be doing more. There's always this kind of, this, this air of like, you're not doing enough. You need to be volunteering more. You need to be giving more. You need to be doing this more. And for some of us, hear that call. You should be doing more, okay? Some of us should be doing more. But in this book, it mentioned if, if you are a single mom, who is, is caring for a young child, trying to make ends meet, and you are hearing this message over and over again to do more, do more, do more. He says, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That, that in that time, your job and the way you follow Jesus is by caring for your child. And anybody who tells you you're not doing enough by caring for that child or leading that child to Jesus is not actually caring for you. I don't know what your situation is. Um, I I don't know what it looks like. Some of you are caring for elderly parents. Some of you are caring for young children. Some of you are uh, in jobs where you influence thousands of people and others of you are in jobs where you're not really influencing, you know, more than one person, you know, who comes by and talks to you. And to say that one person is following Jesus more than somebody else because of the number or because of what they're doing is just not true but we all need to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time, in our place, and in our situations. And again, I don't want us to assume that we are doing it well, that believing is enough. There is a song, which looking back, if I would have prepared this earlier, I might've asked Todd to sing, you know, as the closing song, but I didn't. Um, There's an old uh, hymn called Come Thou Fount. Uh, And in the last uh, verse of Come Thou Fount, there is this line that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. All right? Each and every one of us is being tugged away from God. Okay? Each and every one of us, this spiritual battle is going on and it's going on in each and every one of us like it was going on in this guy. And every single one of us has this prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But the prayer at the end of the song is, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, I feel the desire to wander. I feel the tug to pursue these other things. But God, would you take my heart and would you seal it for your courts above?
above. And that is my prayer uh, for each and every one of us, that God would seal our hearts for his courts, not the earthly courts, not these courts that these spiritual forces are driving us to, but that we would follow and follow him well. Would you guys uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you have authority. We acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. But God, it says in your word that even the demons believe that. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, often wrestle in this life uh, and and we seek ways to follow you, I pray, Lord, that you every single day would take our hearts and seal it Seal them for your courts. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a church that doesn't just say it, that doesn't just think it with our minds, but that pursues you with everything we are, everything we have, and everything that we will be. I pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Um, After the service, there's going to be a prayer available right over here. Uh, anybody, if you have any prayer for any reason, we would love to, uh, to be praying for you. I uh, just want to uh, say a few words uh, for these guys, uh, which is their, their last uh, Sunday with us, uh, DJ uh, and Sam. First, we have a couple of presents for you. So uh, really? let's have them come on up. Okay. So <laughs> we have... We have, we have other things too, right? Or just, just, just peanuts. Just, just peanuts. Okay, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, it's in. It's, it's an envelope. Okay. I was like, thanks a lot. You know? <laughs> no, uh, that's a candy that you like that you get to give away to people. So you can come trick or treat with DJ. But we have some uh, presents in here. Uh, just where, where you're going to be uh, going. There's some uh, restaurants, some fun things around there, and so there's some gift cards in there from all of us to you guys to just kind of. Uh, get you guys uh, settled and explore the area. Uh, We also have um, out on the courtyard afterwards, uh, there's a picture of DJ with this this matting around it for all of us to sign. Is there Uh, really? There is. (laughs) There is. And so so we've already signed it, but we just invite you guys to to go out there, uh, say your goodbyes uh, to, to, to these guys, and you can kind of sign it. Write a little, uh, uh, write a little note to them. Uh, just encourage them uh, on their way. Uh, and in just a minute, we're gonna we're gonna pray for you guys. And I'll invite uh, anybody that wants to. We're actually gonna invite anybody who feels like gathering around them. We just want to surround them and and pray them out. Um, just some personal words. I mean, I'll get my chance to say my teary goodbye later this uh, later this week. Uh, but just what an absolute privilege and joy it's been to serve with you for these years. Uh, just really true true friend, true brother. Um, I know we'll stay in touch, uh, but I'll just miss the companionship uh, along the way of just, you know, having offices and homes near each other uh, where, where uh, we can see each other much. Uh, just saying, what a, what a joy to, to know you and, and your family, and, and just, uh, we're going to be just praying for you guys, and just, um, I, know, I know for sure, I, I, feel, I feel very confident that even though you've done incredible ministry and service up to this point that the greater work is ahead of you as God's called you to that church uh, down in Southern California uh, where, where DJ will be a senior pastor. It's a, it's a sister church in the eco family with us and um, they've called DJ to be their, their senior pastor and we'll just uh, really uh, look with great anticipation to see all that God does through, through both of you. So we want to invite you guys to, to come stand right here and invite anybody who wants to just come on up uh, you guys can all stand and anybody who wants to we're going to lay some hands on them and just launch them out with our blessing. You can 
stand here, uh, come up on the stage and, and come here. Why don't you have you guys come front and center, so just don't fall off, okay? Yeah, okay. And uh, some people behind, if you guys want to stand here, just let's just kind of come in around them. Uh, we're so so excited for them, and um, as uh, they're setting out the new chapter and they're calling a minister, we just want to send them out with our blessing and our encouragement. Lord, we thank you so much for DJ and for Sam and for their family. We thank you for all the ways that you've used them to, uh, to bless us, to love us, to teach us. Uh, we thank you for all the lessons that we've learned about, about you and what it means to follow you. Uh, thank you for the way that they've um, uh, challenged us to, to open our hearts um, uh, to people in, in, in new ways. Um, uh, thank you for all the ways that legacy with, uh, with the youth and with everyone else and with the family ministries and with staff members. And Lord, we're just so grateful. Uh, we just pray that your protection... Uh, in their in their move, we protection um, in their ministry. Uh, we just pray that you would just uh, empower them uh, for the journey ahead. We thank you uh, most of all. We thank you so much for all that you've done in them and through them. In Christ Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hey, you guys can just stay up here. Like those of you who are standing up here, DJ's going to give a benediction. I'll hold the M&Ms for you if you want. Okay. Uh, DJ, could you give us a benediction and we'll head out? Am I on? Yeah. Uh, hey, I don't know what to say other than thank you. Um, we've really felt warmly welcomed and cared for and encouraged uh, in this church and have no doubt uh, that it will continue and continue to be a light in Milpitas. Uh, my, the only benediction I think I can give is, is follow Jesus, just follow, follow him. All right, you know, that's, that's, that's really all there is. It's more complicated than that, I realize, but please don't stop following Jesus. Uh, we're gonna try really hard to keep following Jesus or start following Jesus, depending on where we are, but just keep following Jesus. Um, as a church, uh, as a people, and encouraging one another along the way. Uh, that's, that's my hope and my prayer for all of you. So go in peace. Yeah. <laughs>